Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST-accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hello and welcome to What's the What's Schemata. What's the Schemata? Yeah, I'm here with Rob Brockman. My name's Chris Hayes. Rob, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Chris. Mate, I'm, I'm really good. As you know, we're we're um, chumming away towards the end of 2023. No, it feels a little bit like a plane that's run out of gas and is looking for a, a an airport. And I'm running. Just going to make it. I'm just about to land. I'm looking forward to a bit of time off. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of today is that. You know, the schema gods um, have been throwing a lot of new material our way via the research. And there's a few papers out we're going to be covering over the next uh, few pods. But there is an article that we wanted to focus on today. And we got a tip actually from one of our kind listeners, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, Look, someone had emailed us um, talking about this particular paper by Dave Edwards, um, talking about basically looking at the mode model like, and it's you know looking at the mode model in a very enlarged way uh, so today's episode really is looking at this this paper and looking at we're gonna we're gonna be looking at specifically overcompensation modes and particular variants of the modes okay um when we're looking at you know schema therapy there are a lot of um you know modes okay and it can become very overwhelming okay so just to kind of um reliterate you know when we teach you know rob i'm sure the same you know when we're teaching schema therapy we want a fairly parsimonious model for the client so five six modes tops. yeah yeah um this is an amazing piece of paper like so from dave edwards um what's the name of the paper so the the paper the name of the paper is using schema modes for case conceptualization in schema therapy and applied clinical approach by professor david edwards um it's an awesome paper it's published in frontiers of psychology uh the link will be in the show notes you can you can download it for free actually um anything on on frontiers so that's really cool but it reminds me i remember back when i did my initial training uh part of my initial training was with uh anud arts and at that time he was he would always say that human beings can only remember about five or six things if you teach them and once you go beyond that you're probably going to lose 90 percent of them so he's like teach them five or six modes and that's about all you've got yeah yeah and you know obviously this paper has a mass proliferation of different type of variants so when we were in preparation for this you know chat we thought of it almost like if we're looking at you know today we're looking at the overcompensation modes these are kind of sub variants it's a bit like covid okay you might have the sub variants of covid but the same sort of theme okay so if you're looking at particular modes we're looking at particular themes okay and functions so overcompensation, generally, you know, we're looking at modes that are where, where, where the individual might act in the opposite way that they do underneath, where their schemas are you know, being, um, being driven underneath. Um, so there's often a, a too muchness type of behavior, you know, trying to do something to yeah. uh, remain in control or to, to, to feel better, you know, in yeah. some way. 
Yeah. yeah. I always think about overcompensation as being um, where the client is is doing too much of something yeah. to, to stay on top of it. So they kind of tend to lean into situations rather than disengage. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get the I feel better if kind of line, uh, I feel better if I just knew what was happening or I feel a bit yeah. better if I, you know, tell you. Was in control. Or, yeah, I'm in control or that, you know, uh, that I do it myself. These are kind of often signs. Yeah. So the paper, and we're going to talk about particular bits in uh, this paper. There's well, There must be 30 different overcompensation variants. Um, we're going to talk a bit about yeah. some of these now. Yeah. So I guess like that, what we're trying to set up as well is this, we don't want to freak everyone out and in, in, in thinking, like it's not a task in being obsessive. We don't want you to go away and think we have to get all these modes perfect and there are all these modes. And um, I guess we, the way we've come to think about it, are the, these are sort of variants or traits, the, the way that these overcompensator mm-hmm. modes kind of present, for example, yeah. it, with slight variation. Yeah. Um, and and another another idea actually that Dave in the paper talks about, which I quite like, is the idea of blended modes. And yeah. so I think what he means there is you might have, for example, blended overcompensator modes, right? Let's say, where you know what we're going to present, for example, we know about the stock standard perfectionistic overcontroller, but there's another mode called, and we could start with that one called the strong and independent overcompensator. Uh, from some of the Dutch research, I, I was aware that they were calling that uh, actually the hyper-autonomous over-controller. Yeah. Okay, so I've got this idea of a strong, independent, hyper-autonomous kind of overcompensation mode. Now, now sometimes you, you get the stock standard perfectionistic over-controller blended with that hyper-autonomy, yeah. all right? The hyper-autonomy being the, the part of the person that is fiercely autonomous, uh, fiercely self-reliant, is extremely uncomfortable with other people um, um, helping them or, or you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, because I guess in terms of someone's doing that, they're kind of relinquishing some sense of vulnerability for someone to look after them. So the origins of this would be, you know, around having to learn pretty early on to look after yourself and not rely on others in a healthy way, I'd imagine. And, you know, so you, you, yeah. You, yeah, you might get clients that present in a, you know, I have no needs. I'm fine, but it's it's yeah. a it's a different vibe from detachment, though, isn't it? You know, they're kind of like. I mean, denial. I the way I see this one, it's almost always linked to emotional deprivation. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so so there was no one taking care of business for me, so it's a, I had to yeah. do it for myself. So this is what I do. Like, yeah. you know, I take care of it. Yeah, uh, and I don't rely on others. So yeah. That, that, so now, now this is talking about this blended idea, right? So this is what the mode is proposed. And you can see that that variant is a little bit different from the stock standard perfectionistic over controller idea, you yeah. know? So you can see why they're saying this is going to present a little bit differently. Just to, so just to back up, the classic kind of overcompensations that you, you know, modes that you normally see would be like, you know, the aggrandizer mode that you would see in more narcissistic presentations, the perfectionistic overcontroller that would often be pre- presented in, in um, obsessive compulsive personality traits. I mean, generally, you know, you know, a lot of modes that you'll see, you know, developing in the model is based on diagnostics. So often people are presented with OCPD type presentations and there needs to be a mode as, you know, as it need to be developed for this, you know. Yeah. So hence, hence the, the, you know, um, perfectionist who over control it. But there's lots of other personality kind of traits and problems and, you know, this is what we're going to cover today. 
Um, so uh, the next one, should we tackle yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So the one I've got that we're going to tackle next. Now, again, we, we've picked it out of selection, guys. Um, ten, 10 overcompensation modes here we've picked out, right? Which, which are kind of quite new in the literature. And so we didn't want to cover all of the, all the sort of the basics. But the second one we've picked out, we've selected is something uh, in the paper called the social overcompensator. Uh, Dave says that individuals present themselves as friendly and even warm, cheerful and happy. The, uh, the, the YCI item reads, I believe it's important to put on a happy face regardless of what I feel inside. Dave goes on to say, but this is a fake happy, a social facade that hides genuine feeling and experience, denies or minimizes problems and does not allow for authentic engagement. So it's a kind of mask, right? But it's in the way I see this, though, it's beyond a mask. It's a mask that wants it wants others. It wants acceptance. It wants to fit in, right? It, it wants it wants other people to engage with them on an even keel. Um, the ones that I've seen, the most profound ones like this, um, actually have had a diagnosis of uh, things like uh, autistic spectrum um, um, type disorders. Yeah, right. So. Uh, where, you know, there are sort of maybe social cognition, problems in social cognition, and they've learned to mask in a way of um, predicting what, what the social world wants from them and overcompensating in that way, yeah. uh, even to the degree sometimes of um, writing a little manual or a list of things per social situation cues, how they should be responding. Um, so that's it's a masking, but so it's a, it, I mean, I guess in a case like this, you could read that and see that is that is that a way to detach, you know, to be able to kind of put on the smiley face like a clown mode. But what you're saying, and what I think Rob's sort of saying, is there's a sense of kind of pressured, kind of directedness of I'm yeah. trying to over over project my social skills. It's like you know, I've always thought, you know, I don't know about you, but going back to school. You know, the, the the put down that people would have, is, you know, to to someone um, often that, that I think they, I know what you're going to say it would be, you know, you're you're a tryhard, you're tryhard, yeah. you're being a tryhard. So the client is trying hard to be social. You know, that's different yeah. for and trying to be social, put on a happy face, as opposed to someone who's just putting on a happy face to 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 detach. Yeah, it's more than feeling. just I'm fine. It, yeah. It's I'm trying yeah. to fit in here. Yeah, like yeah. I'm. And and kids pick up on that, but yeah. it's an interesting idea. I wonder, do, do, does the tryhard thing is that like global or is that like just an Australian thing? Don't know. I don't know. I think it. I think it might be a global kind of put down, or doesn't mean to be a put down for our listeners. But you know that that trying hard is a sign of the overcompensator, right? That's yeah. the I'm trying yeah. to be more controlled because it's not disengagement. It's not about yeah. pulling away, disengaging. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. What else we got? But, it can lead to disengagement, you see, because this is the last part of the yep. mode. It says it minimizes problems and does not allow for authentic engagement. So yeah. it does come at that cost. It's trying yep. to engage, yeah, but it, it comes off a bit wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the next one on our list in here, you might have heard of it before from our colleagues such as Susan Simpson you're working at Indisort. It's called the, the Pollyanna Overcompensator. So it's a bit of a happy land kind of um, overcompensator, right? When there's a, a person who is, you know, sort of really trying to be optimistic or might be idealizing people around yeah. them, you know, um, you know, sort of being uh, trying to be optimistic at all times. 
I don't want to focus on the negative, this sort of stuff. Yeah. And what's the idea of Pollyanna? It's some movie. I've never watched it. But. Simon Sinek, yeah. Well, Pollyanna, I think the story was is that, you know, Pollyanna was taught just to be happy, you know, and try to put on a, a smiley face, even in the face, I think, of, you know, disaster and, you know, parents dying and things like that. She was taught just to just be happy, just be, just, yeah. you know, just be, just, 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 you know, oh, take, you know, how you been? Oh, great. I've been yeah, great. great. Yeah, yeah, like I've been yeah. doing I'm just so lucky to be under this, you know, in this circumstance. So it's almost yeah. like overcompensated optimism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can see the difference. I mean, you could get caught up between those last two, but in this case, it's a bit more of a putting it just putting a bit of a happy face on rather than yeah. trying to over engage. Uh, the next one we've got in here is called the comic protector. I've seen in the Dutch research that they've called it, they've been calling it the, I think it the jokey protector is another, another word for that. So makes jokes or smiles, laughs in a way of avoiding sensitive topics entirely or to distract or steer away from the emotions that are activated in conversation. It's your classic jokey protector. How so- do they present? How would you see this as, because there was the group paper that came out proposing new modes as well, and then they talked about a clown mode, and that yeah. was more of an, an avoider. So right? the, so funny enough, I don't think the clown mode is in this paper, yeah. which, which is unbelievable because this paper mm. has all the modes, <laughs> in my opinion. But yeah. the, the clown mode is in the, in the Dutch research mm. is more of an overcompensator mode. Um, yeah. So, so the way they they conceptualise actually this comic protector usually is as an avoidance mode. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the clown mode is is more like um, clowning around, joking to be a sort of um, to be almost the centre of attention or the most the most likable, uh, the most engaging, you know, the centre of the of of, uh, of of the interaction. So the key thing um, is for the listeners and for us to keep reminding ourselves is the function, right? It's the, you know, it might be a line ball, but one uh, one version of humour might be to deny and make light of and minimise and to, to avoid, and one might be more to engage an audience or to to be to, to the behaviour is to get on top of or to yeah. overcompensate. Yeah, so the function is slightly different. Yeah, I mean, in that in that clown mode, they might even joke about. The, the most sad aspects, but mm. in a way not to avoid it, but but to be on top of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they might talk about mm. be, being a loser or, you know, mm. uh, negative mm. aspects of their experience. You think yeah. of a comedian yeah. who's joking about the very topic that's so sad, mm. not in a way to avoid it, but in a way to to get on top of it. Top of it, yeah. There's mm. a sense of confidence when you talk about it in that yes. perspective, yeah. yeah. Whereas the, 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 the jokey protector idea I think is a bit more – Disengaging, you know. Yeah, you could imagine, yeah, perfect. Yeah, you know the, the the sort of thing I imagine would. I mean, mm. this is a complete. I'm just making it up. But you can imagine someone learning that their kid from a GP that their kid might have cancer, mm. and then they might lean in and say something like, "I'm glad I got three. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's that yeah. just trying to take, just trying to take the the sort of the pain, so, the pain off. So it. that's black. So black humor would be more about detaching, avoiding this sort of stuff versus you get some provocative humor, and that's slightly different. That's could a, be, yeah, provocative yeah, yeah, yeah. kind the of more provocative more thing a, is like yeah. leaning into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could do a whole session on this that's on humor. <laughs> humor. What else have we got? 
Uh, the next one on our list is something called the Rolling Stone. And there's different v- variants. The there's a, um, th- this is an overcompensatory variant, but um, there's also there's other variants, uh, such as a surrender version or a passive version. But in this variant, in the overcompensatory one, the individual takes pride in the freedom provided by failure to commit and construct it into, into a positive identity which belies the underlying helplessness and confusion. This is captured to some extent by the YCI item. I like to be a free agent, to have the freedom to do what I want, which is accompanied by some sort of rationalizing self-justification that it's a healthy choice. So uh, these are people who, I mean, can you, can you describe how this presents for you? I think you had a good way of, of presenting it. Well, I guess if you, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to follow the rules, man. You know, society yeah. and the and the rules. I'm of a free play, soul. You know, I'm a free I'm soul. I'm going to be like, free and easy, and I don't need to, you know, do that. So, you know, but there's a point of living, you know, in that way, which is to not feel, con- you know, uh, constrained, you know, yeah. or pull back, isn't it? So, yeah. There's one. I got a weird idea about this. I don't know what you think, but I often think about this. So- you know, because we in, we're in Australia, we live in a in a so-called uh, liberal democracy and a and a capitalist society. Yeah. But I do see this kind of very like as a presentation, almost as a bit of a rejection of capitalism or the system. Yeah, yeah, the like system, the yeah. grind of oh, mm. you know, mortgage rates mm-hmm. and getting on, you know, mm-hmm. and and dealing with all of that, and yeah, you know, it's tough. And then yeah. some people just opt out, and they're just sort mm. of and but opt out in a way that's quite well, almost like a positive identity, like. Hmm. You know, hmm. I'm a hippie or I'm a, you know, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, I, mean, I think we're talking, you know, in another another meeting in terms of, idea, you know, sort of um, idealism and social justice issues and things like that. And, you know, it could fit into this, well, to some extent, you know, sort of fighting against the system and this sort of stuff. Um, there is nothing wrong with fighting against the system or being a free agent, right? But and I think we were mentioning in another group at some point this idea that you know there's healthy overcompensation and there's unhealthy overcompensation. So the point where your needs are not getting met because you're such a rolling stone, you know, totally. Um, yeah. As opposed and- to someone who's you know militant rolling stone who you know uh, you know as opposed to someone who's going to free his. You know, there is something for this though. That whenever I've heard of this idea of the rolling, because it's a bit like right. I think it's a bit like overcompensation for unrelenting standards. Yeah. yeah. Right? If, if you think yeah. about the, where it's derived from. Yeah. So I'm I don't want to deal with the pressure. I don't want to engage the with system. the pressure. This is, the, yeah. the system is telling me that I should be achieving. I'm not a failure. The system is broken. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, engaging. not engaging in this. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to start my own system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it does go back to this idea of like, you know, at a schema level, it's unrelenting standards. We're overcompensating for unrelenting standards. And this idea that we, instead of using overcompensation, using the term inversion, because typically we think of overcompensation for unrelenting standards is that we'd be just super, you know, super unrelenting standards, right? But yeah. we're doing the opposite to the way we feel. So we feel stressed, therefore we're opting out, you know. So to keep that in mind, yeah. the idea of, you know, sort of um, inversion. Now, the next three variants are grouped in the paper under something called attachment-seeking overcompensators. And the first one is is the classic, I think, what's called attention and admiration seeker. 
um, which which would just be your classic sort of yeah attention seeker mode that we do in the training. Um, engages in inappropriately extravagant, dramatic, exaggerated behaviour to impress others, receive attention, etc. So that's that's more of a stock standard one. But then they've got these other ideas which I thought were interesting. The second one's uh, Dave calls the hypervigilant clinger attempts to prolong contact, refuses to leave, clings, or even begs in response to an impending separation. For I imagine, for example, um, the session ending soon or something, starts doing some odd behaviour in order to prolong the session. You know what, this would be a good one to talk this slightest. I know that we're going on, on a different variant, but I look at that and I think, well, that could also be a vulnerable child mode. And it, this could be a separate, hopefully we are going to try and have a, a um, episode with Susan Simpson who's, who's you know, started writing a, another yeah. paper. We're going to talk about it in terms of faux vulnerability. Like, you know, when, is this Pseudo vulnerability, yeah. Pseudo, pseudo vulnerability. So that'll be another topic. I'm hope, we're hoping to do yeah. that either the next pod or the one after. It's, we're yeah. going to do one on pseudo-vulnerability modes. But this could be an example of that. You know, it, it looks vulnerable, yeah. but it's not vulnerable because Correct. it's trying to control the uh, – the, the time with the, with the therapist. Time yeah. with the therapist and, and the care that's coming towards them. Yeah. yeah. So then, you think about if you've ever had clients that um, start acting a little strange – or I've heard therapists say things like clients want to cling to their leg when they finish the session or they won't leave the room or okay. some sort of behaviours like that that you wouldn't encounter mm. all that often um, yeah. but makes sense from maybe a bit of an attachment perspective. Yeah. Um, the third one uh, of these attachment-seeking overcompensators is called the care-seeking overcompensator. So def- defined as individuals act disarmingly, uh, with appealing charm, helplessness, or present a sick in a manner that coerces others to provide care. Despite the apparent helplessness in the interest of secondary gain, they exert pressure on others who experience them as coercive and frustrating, and the care may include being admitted to hospital or some other place where they'll be attended to. Okay, so this, this I guess... These are all, I think the variant thing really plays in because I've always thought of this kind of thing within the sort of attention admiration seeking spectrum, but where it's clearly sort of focused on on getting some kind of, um, uh, uh, getting some sort of care, sort of a care uh, seeking variant. You know, there's it's some interesting idea. It's co- coercive aspect too, isn't it? It's kind of like I've got a desired you know, outcome, what relation to care, and you're going to be doing it for me. Therapists or, or service it. providers can feel, they'll often say things like, I felt, felt manipulated. Mm, I think that's mm, a part of yeah. the transference that yeah. can come off with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that that's necessarily the intention, but that can be, I think, the, the sort of the feeling on the other side of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of, yeah, the kind of behaviours I guess partly this is this can be certain forms of suicide suicidal gesturing, yeah. um, you know, where this sort of crying out for help kind of stuff, but in a way that's trying to to um, to get care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one on our list is the list. <clears throat> What's on the list? Well, we're at the end of the attachment seeking overcompensators, and number nine we've got is the rebel, which I thought was a bit of an interesting idea. Okay, so this is sort of externalizing. So, 
way um, David has separated these out is sort of just classic over-controllers where it's more focusing on attention detail. So the classic perfectionistic over-controller and these sorts of, you know, where I'm trying to be rigid in terms of detail and, you know, control towards others. And then there's more externalizing yeah. ones where it's like I'm trying to dominate others or, yeah. you know, put it on, you know, control my environment. Um, so the way he conceptualizes this, I quite like it. So he talks about like a defiant child mode sitting in the background. Yeah. And the defiant child mode would be a child mode that probably has uh, a lot of subjugation in it. Right, helplessness, so like a, subjugation. A, a like a child, yeah. Yeah, like, a, like exactly, yeah. like a subjugated angry child. Yeah. yeah. And the vibe of that is I won't, I won't be told. I, I, I'm not going to be told anything here, right? Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. It's yeah. that kind of vibe. Yeah. And then so he calls that the defiant child. I think we might come back eventually and do another, another pod on the child yeah, mode. Sure. Yeah. But then so he says the rebel mode is a sort of overcompensation mode for the for that kind of defiant child. When that defiant child is in the background and, and if the client's overcompensating, you get a more rebellious kind of coping mode. So it says things like, I dislike the rules and I get satisfaction from breaking them. I think of myself as a rebel. I often go against established authority and I enjoy being unconventional, even if I don't fit in. Yeah. So um, this is the sort of rebel mode. While we're at it, like, I know that um, might not have been on the list, but I do think this is something that we might want to just tap into for a bit is this um, scalding over controller mode. So often you see, this is what I see often in, in a trauma kind of, uh, you know, particularly, you know, childhood trauma kind of stuff. You get clients that are very angry at themselves and scalding mm. towards themselves and people pick it up as a punitive critic mode and then treat it as such. Yeah. You know, so the scalding over controller is this idea of like, being angry at yourself and it sounds like it's a punitive critic but it's more of a way to keep it together if i am scalding and i'm angry at myself i can kind of you know not be vulnerable not show yeah. weakness not open up and, and i mean the uh, way that um dave puts it he puts it here in the overcompensation it's about that side the way it interacts with others that right. it, it, it orders others. It says, so issues orders to others in a domineering way, makes belittling remarks as a way of controlling their behaviour. So he separated out that as opposed to internalising versus externalising. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah. says that when basically when you have that sort of criticism externally point, pointed externally and when mm. it's designed to control other people, their behaviour, yeah. like if I, if I, if I criticise, if I judge, then I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna be able to control them. Maybe let's, you can only imagine probably family yeah. members, your friends, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. people at work. Yeah. Now, now this is some uh, another uh, you know sort of theme that you're personally interested in is this sort of analysis, overthinking, anal analyzing kind of you know yeah. what, what Dave reports as um, un, a repetitive, unproductive thinking modes. Um, so we got a couple yeah. of there in there too. Or? Uh, yeah. So, so we, you know, the, the, yeah, he's got a whole suite here uh, called repetitive, um, unpredictable. Sorry, repetitive, unproductive thinking modes. So that's the first time I ever really saw um, saw that idea. The sorry, the particular label that he's given yeah. that right, yeah. repetitive, yeah. Unpredict unproductive thinking modes. 
You might be aware a few years ago now, myself along with um, several students, uh, PhD students such as uh, Adele Stravopoulos, um, master's students such as Megan Hare, uh, so a series of studies were able to link um, repetitive negative thinking behaviours to the mode model. And so we first um, were able to put out there the idea. Now, the way we talked about it in those papers is called the overanalyzer mode. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the first mode Dave puts out uh, in the list of these kind of uh, what he calls repetitive, unproductive thinking modes. So I think this is if you link it to the to the to the clinical literature, this is about different forms of what's called repetitive negative thinking. The idea if I think about or ruminate or worry yeah. or engage with what's happening upstairs, then I feel better, I feel more in control, or I'm able to plan, or I'm able to deal with what's happening, or or I feel more empowered, maybe if you feel, you know, empowered, you, you can sit there and cook up what you're gonna do to this guy and all that sort of stuff as a Correct. Part of, it's it's sort of uh, overthink it's overthinking, overthinking. You know, it's when we over, and a lot of clients say overthink things. Yeah. So I usually yeah. find that as a kind of coping mode. And, and our original idea with linking this was that, you know, deep down you, you get someone who gets schema activation, right? Either they get feel very vulnerable, they get set off, or maybe they get really angry, right? They get set off with their schemas. And then one of the ways they deal with that is to bring it up into their head in yeah. a very cognitive way and then mm. go around in circles, mm-hmm. either to, to sort of plan things, to plan a response, to find a problem, uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, a solution to the problem, you know, mm-hmm. problem solve, um, and they sort of work it around in their head for a period of time. It gives them a sense of control and a sense that they're that they're actually doing something about it. So, so that that was the sort of, to my knowledge, the first time that we had one of these kinds of repetitive, unproductive thinking modes in the literature. We called it the overanalyzer. But Dave's now gone, and there's there's something like he's got a town. Like it's looking at it, there's something like twenty odd modes. He's got one called the angry ruminator, the vengeful ruminator. Um, the event post-mortem ruminator, which I can relate to. Yeah. <laughs> I think this idea yeah. of like, you know, you have a social situation and in your mind you can kind of like come across and I say, right, oh, you know, in a post. Uh, you know, now, post-mortem. the point of all this, I guess it's worth being aware that sometimes overcompensation can present as a sort of um, uh, uh, repetitive negative thinking. The people yeah. people will start overthinking things, yeah. and that this remember this is a um, a covert behaviour. You know, thinking yeah. in, on mm. some level is also behaviour. You you can sit mm. there and ruminate all day. Mm. You know, you, maybe others wouldn't really know what you're doing because it's a bit of a private event. They yeah. might see that you're disengaged. Yeah. But so this is a covert behaviour, something we do in our heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's still behaviour, and therefore we can categorise it along the lines of. Um, well, in this case, it's overcompensation, overdoing something, overthinking. And and um, Dave's done a really interesting job of, of categorizing all the possible, you know, variants of, of overthinking in clients. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting idea. We're not going to go through all of these kind of variants, um, check them out in the paper, but... I guess I guess the point is of this: look out for some of these variants, look out for some of these traits, and any of the kind of nuanced functions that might come up for your clients. Always comes down to my old uh, colleague that I used to work with years ago. Used to do group CBT um, work, uh, not workshops, um, groups uh, for clients, and he used to always 
have it in his accent. He'd say, what is the function of the behavior? So again, it always comes back to that, doesn't it? It's like, you know, what's the function of the behavior? It's going to, it's going to fit into one of these modes, you know, in terms of totally. Let me, I mean, something I often say, and this is just something I always say, I I don't even know if I've ever said this to you, Chris. I mean, I'm probably fairly liberal when it comes Mm -hmm. to the modes in the Mm -hmm. sense of I'm, you know, there's a list of modes and probably um, most Mm. of them are in the main list. Mm. But I don't think we want to get obsessed about the list either. And Mm. so a saying I've got is um, if it looks like a mode and it smells like a mode, it's probably a mode. (laughs) Which means, you know, if Mm. you can see the behaviour, the topography and the function, you can kind of see how it works for the client and it presents as a mode, it probably is a mode. And even if Mm. you can't quite pin it to a list, um, it might be worth rolling with that on some level. Yeah. And I think going forward for those that are learning the model, if there's, you know, two or three of these, you know, different variants, um, or what we're, you know, describing as a variant, you know, it may be collapsed down into that blend, right? We don't, I, I personally, this is my personal opinion, I don't see much value of having, you know, five different overcompensation, you know, sub-variants, um, and I think you're the same, like, you know, back to the idea of like, we want a child mode, possibly one or two child modes, one or two coping modes and a, and a, and a critic mode and a healthy adult, you know, and, and if some of these, um, mode descriptors are going to be better at, uh, being more attuned in terms of describing what the behavior is, then great, you know? Yeah. And so, so sometimes you might want to think about collapsing down, you know, modes, if there are more than one variant within a category, within a class. So yeah. if you've got three or four, if you've identified possibly three or four protector modes, you might want to consider just collapsing that down into a into a protector mode. Yeah. Or if you've got three or four different overcompensator modes, you might just want to end up thinking about would it make sense to the client to just kind of call it an, an overcompensator mode or an overcontroller yeah. mode. And yeah. then talk about the traits, you know, yeah. that mode yeah. for you Firstly, it's it's quite perfectionistic, but also it's very it's hyper autonomous. You know, yeah. it does it doesn't like to rely on others. For example, yeah. so you can collapse those traits into one mode. Yeah, perfect. There's that, word. There's that word, Chris. Mm, great. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. You can't say the word perfect when oh, you're no. a schema therapist because oh, no, then you judge yourself. Yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely don't um, subscribe to that that notion. But mate, um. Good work. Man. Okay. I think we, we got there. We sort of we had a bit of a tackle there. I think so. Coming up, we might focus on some other areas of this paper uh, in the future, and or in particular maybe we talk to Susan about pseudo vulnerable modes. I think that'd be a really interesting topic. Um, and thanks to to our colleague, um, we won't name name personally, who put us up to this to to put this paper out there. You'll see the paper in the show notes. Um, if you go and check the show notes, you can you can go through and, and download the papers directly. And personally, I just think it's great that people are interacting, giving us emails. I, I, we, we really love this um, to, to to hear interaction from you. If you want to send us an email, send it to you know info at schematherapytraining.com and you know suggest ideas to going forward. Hopefully, we're getting better over time. I think we are, um, and we've really appreciated everyone you know listening to us and. You know, sort of engaging in the last 12, well, two years. We're coming up to, I think, this is session 38 or something, 39. I think it might have been 40, um, yeah. 40, yeah, maybe. We'll find out after we, we do know, the edits. Um, but, look, you know, we really do appreciate you um, listening and taking the time and also, you know, um, 
you know, the, the community of schema therapists around, you know, I think um, we need to pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Often we, you know, do a lot of um, hard work with difficult cases. And, um, you know, I think this is at the end of the year. Um, just take note of that. Yeah. Well done, That's guys. Good. And as always, if you need some help uh, with your schema therapy, we've got a suite of courses, online courses um, to check out. Yeah. You, uh, you can check them out on um at www.schematherapytrainingonline.com. There's something there for everyone, including um, including free webinars, if that's what you're inclined to do, right through to um, online uh, accreditation-based training. Uh, we'll see you guys around. See you around, Chris. See you later, Rob. Bye. Bye. Bye.